dark save for light being cast from the big tv screen and the imminent sunrise that's teasing the one starry sky with whispers of morning hey george hey lines how's it going it's going good the only real uh bad thing that's going on in the whole world right now because i mean i can't i can't think of any other bad things uh the only bad thing is uh I could not come up with an opening for this game that I was like really happy with. Oh, really? No, nothing that, that wouldn't get panned? Like, yeah, I mean, like there were some okay jokes. I mean, it's not, the game is not, you know, impervious to humor, but that's true. I think that, that any, anything that would be panned in this case could be endemic of a bigger problem, a pan endemic. Uh, I don't know what you're, the you're not making be. any sense. That's weird, right? <laughs> So what do we play? We played Super Mario RPG, Super Mario RPG, Super Mario. Yeah, but no, it's it's not it's not Mario RPG. It's Super Mario RPG. Is that it, is what we played. Is it Dash Legend of the Seven Stars or Colon Legend of the Seven Stars? Ugh, you see, these these are the questions that keep me up at night. Colon you know? Super Mario RPG Colon Legend of the Seven Stars. And I think that's important because you wouldn't want to confuse this with the huge library of other Super Mario RPG games. Well, and, and my question is, what went so egregiously wrong that the or right actually that the Mushroom Kingdom went from having seven stars to a hundred and twenty by Super Mario sixty four? Oh, you know? we, we are we thinking there was some kind of like horrific inflation? Yeah, I mean, you know, like because before there were these like seven stars and then all of a sudden like there's 120 so i mean oh no i i can explain this this is go for it this is what happens after a world war right so Mm. the entire mushroom kingdom is united against smithy and the smithy gang oh my god whatever the bad guys right so yeah the smithians the smithtonians And <laughs> and after the war, now the value of the star has plummeted. So the Mushroom Kingdom, right? The the Chancellor has to print way more stars because otherwise, like nobody can afford, let's say, bread, right? And so now sure. the the value of the star has just depreciated to nothing. To where now there's what would this be like a twenty x increase at eighteen x increase and in, yeah it's not it's not good war is terrible George it is so and we are just already way off topic so we are over budget over time um but no so okay but that that implies the ability for the mushroom king and and princess Sotsul to print these these stars right you know to to manufacture this currency the, yeah there's some kind of manufacturing process. Right. So what if, but what if it was similar to, I, I, I like your idea of its currency, but what if it was non-regulatable currency? For example, um, I believe that when initially the Spanish were sending uh, caravans or, or the trade out to the Americas and pulling a tremendous amount of gold back, gold hit an inflation in Europe that was uncontrollable because everything was pinned to that gold standard. And because the market was now flooded with gold, it 
inflated the value of gold, right? So that's why it's so important for you to be able to regulate your own currency because, you know, and you don't, why, why everybody's like, we should return to the gold standard. It's like, that's a terrible idea because we can't control how much gold there is in the world because if somebody finds a bunch of gold, you're screwed. So that means that there had to be a thing like, like, so let's just say that these stars, there were only seven of them, right? An infinitely valuable resource, right? But now all of a sudden they found, they found more, right? So what if chronologically Super Mario World happened after Super Mario RPG, right? And being able to make it to that star universe, that weird alternate universe, right? Where there's an entirely new universe with all new Koopa Troopers and everything like that. That's where they found this obscene number of like golden stars that they were then able to import back, which caused an insane inflationary effect which is uh is why all of a sudden they then everybody felt the need to leave into new pocket universes of paintings. Yeah. And and then you know how they tried to fix this later and then hmm. they had the exact same problem. They switched to, they switched to moons. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, no, they they just straight up switched their currency, yeah. you know. Just burn that old currency down, switch to moons. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it all holds up. So uh, we played Super Mario RPG. Uh, so this this came out in uh, May of 1996. And mm-hmm. I don't normally... Like right before the N64, right? Yes, this is literally exactly what I was going to say, is uh, when we get to visuals, people need to remember what I'm going to say about the visuals is that this game came out the same year, almost the same season, that the N64 was released, which means when this game was in stores as a brand new game, Nintendo had long since stopped caring about Super Nintendo and was now fully invested in the N64 and all of its 3D wooshy wooshiness, right? So Mm -hmm. just keep that date in mind when we get to my personal feelings, not my objective critiques, but just my personal feelings about the visuals. Um, But before we do that, uh, I don't think you do, but do you have any nostalgia experience for this game? None. And actually, though, this this and and so in lieu of my nostalgia experience, I'm going to I'm going to touch on two things. One (laughs) is this not having a nostalgia experience that's made me suddenly realize because you and I loves us some RPGs, right? Um, Just love the hell out of them. Uh, I didn't start playing RPGs. I realized more recently in life than I probably should have until I was in my late teens. You know, like, like I played well, because you don't, when you say RPGs, you don't personally consider like a Zelda Correct. RPG, right? Because something outside of an action RPG, yeah, you know? yeah. So the the giant stat sheets, right? Digital D and D stat sheets, levels, all yeah, of that. All yeah, that. no, never even touched it until D and D when I was like sixteen. You know, hmm. so right, so yeah, because when I'm like, oh, I had a nostalgia experience for this. No, I didn't have a nostalgia experience for this. Um, you know, like it, 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 it kind of. I was, I was like, man, it just I never really played any of these RPGs. I never played any RPGs until I was <laughs> like sixteen, and then, like, you know, I just got, I got hard into those RPGs. You know, and somebody's like, man, you know, I, I, I hear you really, really like performance enhancers. Have you tried this thing called cocaine? It's uh it's pretty smooth. It's pretty nice. You should give it a shot. And I'm like, there's no downside to this drug. <laughs> um, and the other thing that that just to, to go ahead and get this out of the way real fast, which is I, I kind of mentioned to you is so I didn't have a nostalgia experience. So I was very, very excited to play it. Um, 
my objective, I'm going to go through this and objectively review the game, which is what we do, right? I'm going to preface it with, I did not like this game. That is not going to impact, but, but that's the thing, that that's not going to impact, like, I, I, I'm going to give it a fair shake as to whether or not it is a good game, because one of the things that we talk about regularly is that a lot of times people will be like, oh, I don't like it. It's like, that's fine. It's still a good movie. And it's like, well, I didn't like it. It's like, we're, that doesn't, we're not talking about the same thing. Like, that's not, I'm not talking about whether or not you liked it. You can hate good things, you yeah. know, like that's fine. Well, the, I so, mean, th- this is the beer problem, right? Oh, well, you, mm-hmm. you don't like beer because you've never had a good beer. And it's like, no, I don't like the thing. So yeah. it's, it's quality actually isn't what I'm taking exception with. Like I, I, this may be made from, you know, God's tears and the, the <laughs> wheat of the Buddha's own garden, but it, it doesn't matter because that's actually not my problem. <laughs> Correct. And so, uh, but, but what this did do was make, make me do some real soul searching on it. Cause I'm, I'm like, man, I am just not getting into this game. And it, and it checks all the check boxes on my list of things that I should like, you know? So I'm like, what in the world is my problem? You know? <laughs> and, is, is it me? <laughs> and especially because I was ready to write it off as like, oh, you know, I just turn based turn-based rpgs just aren't my thing anymore you know like i just don't have the time for it just you know i i like other stuff now taste change no big deal the problem is i played pokemon sword recently and really liked it so that (laughs) blew a huge hole in my argument so i literally have spent weeks now trying to understand what is wrong with me and i think i've got it so I just wanted to to go ahead and as many things across all of the categories. But I figured in lieu of my nostalgia experience, I would go ahead and insert that little blurb because it kind of colors a lot of what I'm going to talk about in each category. So, so you, you definitely should have delivered that second uh, because my nostalgia experience is I borrowed this game from Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I I, I mean, I, cool. I have a, yeah, <laughs> good story, bro. I, uh, I played this game a lot. The the one thing that I do think is interesting about this is, you know, Square made this in partnership with Nintendo, right? Which they also famously then later made Kingdom Hearts, which is another game that like kind of shouldn't exist, right? It's Square partnering with Disney to make like a Disney RPG. And that's a weird sentence, no matter how familiar it is now. And so that this is like, proto kingdom hearts like square reaching out to this like family friendly franchise and then swords and guns and it's just right for better or worse but like i i don't think i truly appreciated as a youth how weird this was like how sort Mm -hmm. of out of nowhere this thing was at all uh and the the thing that for me is you know going through this playthrough is i realized of all the SNES era RPGs that I played as a kid, there's a lot that I've replayed as a teenager and then as an adult and now as an old man. Right. But somehow this one just did not make it past like my initial shot. Like I played this when I was like 12 or whatever. And, and then I don't know if I really ever touched it again after that. Like I didn't replay it as a teen. I don't, I'm pretty sure I never replayed it like in college or anything. It's just, it's weird that it somehow didn't get us like a third look. Right. Cause I remember playing it multiple mm-hmm. times, like back to back, like in that year and then just not really messing with it again. And and that was an interesting, right. Cause like the final fantasies or soul blazer, or the, you know, a link to the past, like a lot of these other RPGs that are, you know, huge lengthy experiences. 
that I somehow managed to find time for over and over and over over the decades. Uh, this one just wasn't one of them. And it, it may be because it was a borrowed game. And, you know, then I had to like go and seek it out to return it to my library. But yeah, weird. Um, for promotional spot, I have like an apology. This one's a little interesting. Uh, so you are sorry. I am sorry. Now apologize. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, thank you. Uh, I got some some new followers on Twitch and people have been interacting on Twitter, which is always awesome. Um, I haven't actually checked for reviews lately, which is on me. But if you left a review, thank you. And if not, go leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, but someone actually uh, sent uh, the two of us a very nice letter through the contact form on nostalgicoggles.audio and it's it's full of like little in-joke references and stuff which is nice because it's like oh this person really they really listen right because there's a bunch of like pretty deep references and stuff in there and so that's always nice and they asked for uh some advice on starting a podcast of their own and i wrote them a fairly lengthy reply and then they didn't say anything after that and that's fine the the reason I'm bringing this up, Connor, is because uh, <laughs> what I'm afraid of is actually that a spam filter ate that reply email. So, uh, Connor, if you're listening, I did reply to you. And you don't have to say or do anything. I just want everyone to know that I, I did my part. So when we yeah. say if you reach out to us, we will talk to you. We mean it even in private channels where we'll never get caught ignoring you. Well, and, and just so you all know, we, we have like a special visual cue that we do when we're lying and, <laughs> and lions didn't do it at all. You know, Thank like, you. like, thank you for telling and me. I, yeah. You know, uh, so, <laughs> and that's, that's meaningful, you know, I mean, that, that, that runs deep, yeah, but, uh, he's not laughing or waving his middle fingers around at all. Exactly. Mike's in the corner. Silent as the grave. <laughs> Yeah. So, thoughtfully nodding <laughs> so uh yeah man visuals i don't like them i don't <laughs> I, don't, I don't like things that are different i i feel like i had this exact same complaint when we talked about uh donkey kong country which also came out relatively late in the super nintendo's life cycle uh, and that this is exactly why I really wanted to drill home that they were trying. They were super jazzed about 3D, right? These companies were really excited for the coming 3D revolution. And I just I don't care for the the banded shading um, pseudo plasticky look of Super Nintendo era games that are trying so hard to look 3D rendered. Um, I just I don't think it looks, I don't think it aged poorly. This game looks exactly the way I remembered it. Uh, I like the palette choice for the colors. I just don't care for this art style and any game we play that has this art style, I'm going to feel the same way about it. Now, the one thing this game does better than Donkey Kong Country is I feel like there's less of a, uh, like a detail spread between static backgrounds that don't move and can have more lovingly crafted detail and characters that do move right because in donkey kong country the trees in the background look insane like they put so much effort into every palm frond right and in uh the characters in the foreground you're from florida because you know the name of (laughs) (laughs) hey not from there i grew up there let's 
Let's not say things Dude, we can't take back. You're look, look, look. This looks looks to the left, looks to the right. You're a Floridian. Oh <laughs> no. <laughs> You're lucky these laptops are between us. <laughs> so, nothing gets anyone from Florida. Um yeah. except, except everything. Um I'm one of you, but I'm not. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I saw I saw a picture one time where it showed an, an an alligator with a kitchen knife in its forehead, and somebody said, "If you pull that out, you become the king of Florida." And I think that kind of sums up Florida top to bottom. You know, like is it? I'm actually the, the, surprised. I've never seen that meme. <laughs> that's in, <laughs> that's incredible. It, it's great, and and because I'm like, yeah, if if the the Arthurian legend were to be retold about Florida, it would be a knife in a crocodile's head. And, and that's kind of all you need to know about Florida, you know? Well, I mean, and so, you know, I did live there for two decades, right? So I, I get why I get this label cast upon me. Um, the most frustrating part of it is, uh, I have friends and coworkers who are from the Pacific Northwest who've never been to Florida. And one of them literally asked me one time, wait, so like, there's really just like alligators like around. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they they live there. Yeah, how, how they were you, there first. How do you feel when people ask you if there's really bears living in Seattle? And they were just yeah. like, "Oh yeah, that is really annoying." And I was like, "Same thing." It's <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yes, just, there's really alligators in Florida. Yeah, no, I remember like my dad had a small little kind of like retaining pond lake in the back of his house, and just sometimes there were gators back there. You know, it's just something you had to keep an eye on. Yeah. Whether or not there were gators. No, we had the same thing. And sometimes there were otters and sometimes there were just gators. <laughs> and sometimes there were otters and then suddenly there were no otters and yeah. there were also gators. I don't know if those two things were related. Yep. Um, but the moral of that uh, weird tangent was um, I, I just don't care for this like pseudo plasticky, you know, original Toy Story sort of look. It's not. I, I, I think it's actually really well executed. I think everything you can tell what everything is and everything looks fine. I just like when I picture Mario in my head, I think of like well rendered 3d Mario or, you know, lovingly adorable 2d Sprite Mario. And this is like, this is the fish with legs Mario, right? He's, he's just in this awkward middle space that I, I really just don't care for this look. Um, this game probably has about the best execution of that art style that I can think of. But again, it's like, yay, you made a, a really high quality thing. I don't like, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understood. Um, so, but my, my top level note, um, for visuals was what if square made a Mario game? Uh, cause you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it is very much so you could start every section with that. <laughs> Yeah, but, it, but I mean, like it, it, it does have that kind of, especially with like the battle, the way kind of things are laid out. It has that feel, you know, where it's like, oh yeah, I mean, it's not, it is not Final Fantasy Tactics for many reasons, which I'll get into later. But, um, but like the, the that top down three D kind of, you know, isometric view, is, is asymmetric. That, that that's the name of that camera angle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like that. It's like, yeah, that that Square is good at that. So of course, that's what they decided to go with. Um. The main thing that I want to talk about, and really the only main thing I want to talk about with visuals, is they're not spectacular. And that's not to say that they're bad, but they are not a spectacle. So when I say they're not spectacular, I mean that in the the true root of the word, which is they are not a spectacle. And this was this was part one of George's soul searching, right? <laughs> because 
the thing is that, you know, I found myself getting a little antsy and irritated with combat, you know, because I was like, okay, so go attack the thing. Or it goes and he attacks the thing. You got to press a button, which is ga- engaging and time reflex based, which is, you know, closer to like a Mario game, which makes sense. Very, very well done. Um, but I was just, even with that, I was like, just come on, come on, get through it, get through it, do the thing. And I was trying to think why, why that? Because I did not have that re- reaction with Pokemon Sword, right? Even though it's, it's turn based and there's just like you press a button and then it doesn't even have the reaction thing. It just, does a thing. But the visuals in Pokemon Sword are spectacular in the sense that like both, so the two things that they do is one is that the visual itself, it's a, if you're like, use Ice Beam, the character like winds up and then they fire this amazing visual thing and it hits the bad guy and then they're like, oh no you got me, right? And all that sort of stuff. But also the camera angle is panning around them the whole time which gives your brain something to do as opposed to just like a static visual on, you know, like a static background where Mario like runs up and then he hits the guy and then he runs back and you're like, cool. I've seen that animation like a bajillion times now and I'm good, you know? So, um, so the, again, and that's not bad. It's just that out of the seven core aesthetics, this one in no way hits visuals, you know? Like it doesn't even, and it doesn't even try. So, you know, like before when we'd go through like the, the seven different core aesthetics, right? You know, like we would say like, like, were they, did they achieve it? And were they trying? And the answer is they just straight up weren't trying. But that being said is if you're saying like, oh man, yeah, I could, I totally get into turn-based RPGs. Take a minute and think, what exactly are you thinking of? Because if it is, though it be a turn-based strategy game, if it is visually spectacular, this is not that, you know? Yeah, and I I think this is one of those, like, people who can go back and play Final Fantasy 1 on the Nintendo, which is even more visually unspectacular, right? <laughs> um yeah. It is how does a person feel about that repetition? Because I have mm-hmm. played RPGs where I was just like, okay, the I get it. Like the repetition of this is making me want to rip my eyeballs out. And because I have a relatively high tolerance for turn-based RPGs that are not visually spectacular, that are very, you know, old Final Fantasy, um, to me, what keeps these visuals just on the acceptable side of not spectacular, right? I agree with you. They're not mm-hmm. spectacular, but what, what keeps it from being too cutting for me is that little timing based mm-hmm. thing for the critical hit and for the, like, what would you call it? A critical block, right? Like yeah. def- defending yourself. Um, so that like gives me something to do, which is, is pulling my brain out of what am I looking at and why am I looking at it? Right. It's, I'm no longer looking at, you know, a movie playing out like you are in, it sounds like the latest Pokemon game where just like everything is super wooshy wooshy, even though all you do is press a single button. (laughs) Super wooshy wooshy. Right. Which is fine. (laughs) But like this, this is that little bit of interaction helps it not look as boringly repetitive. Now that says nothing about whether it feels boring and repetitive because (laughs) that little action is literally all there ever is. And it never gets more complicated than that. Um, and just as a, an aside, uh, without straying too far into mechanics, I happen to be watching a stream of uh, one of the newer um, RPG-ish Mario games. I think it's the Mario and Luigi series. And mm-hmm. 
a lot of the people who worked on this later went on to work on those games because they're obvious spiritual successors. But what I noticed is in all those games, the combat is instead of being turn-based, it's turn-based. And there's way more jumping around. There's way more button pressing. You're doing more stuff on every attack, on every defense, right? There's a lot more basically platforming like shoved into the turn-based combat. And I think that takes those really boring static visuals or, you know, semi-static and makes them feel less samey every single battle, even though every battle is more or less playing out the same way. It, like it feels like you jumped over an enemy and it feels like you smashed them with the hammer or through the turtle shell or whatever. This game doesn't quite have that. So the visuals feel super samey every single time. And and for me, like because I have a high tolerance, I stayed just on the other side of that barrier, but I can absolutely see why that wouldn't hold up for you. Cause it's just like, yeah, it's, he's kicking the turtle shell again, or he's, you know, his fist got big with the, the punch gloves again. And it's just like, yep. Every time, every battle, every, every battle. And actually, and and I I will talk more about this in mechanics, but you kind of hit on one of my, my things that, that jarred me with the mechanics, which is that the, is the cognitive load in this game is really low, um, which is fine, but it's, it's, definitely something to to be aware of um and so to to your point like the the pressing of a button again i think that that's very very well crafted especially if you're saying like look we're going to make a turn-based rpg we're going to take a game that is all about be athletics right like about reflex based platforming right and we're going to make it a turn-based rpg you know like to say like okay well that's that's like oil and water. I mean, in the sense of like, you know, like the spectrum of, you know, that's going from ultraviolet to infrared, right? That's <laughs> completely other end of it, right? That's not the other end of it. Don't, don't at me. I know that's not the other end of the electromagnetic <laughs> spectrum. It's the other end of the visual spectrum. So anyways, that's not the point. The point is, um, oh, is that, so for me, actually, and I don't, I don't know this to be true, but pressing the button actually was I, I didn't I personally did not like it. I think that it was the right choice for this game, but because it pulled me in just enough to the point where I couldn't disengage with the game enough to not be frustrated, you know? So which is to say that like if the visuals were spectacular or if I had way, way, way more to do, like in like Kingdom Hearts, you know, where it is or Legend of Zelda or something like that, where like I am actively doing something, that'd be one thing. Or if it was like a yeah, I can just kind of half pay attention to the combat, you know, and slowly grind the levels out and all sorts of stuff, kind of while I do something else, you know, then I may have been able to tolerate that. But the fact that I'm like, I have to sit here and focus on this game because I've got to time this thing right because it, it's substantial. It makes a huge difference whether or not you time that right, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you so, get like, it's the difference between critting and not. So it's like plus 75% right. damage. Yeah, it's it's a huge difference. So, you know, like I had to sit there and focus on that where as opposed to being able to, you know, carry on a conversation with my son, you know, or what what have you. Like it, it pulled my attention just enough to the point where I was like, I, I, I can't, again, like to me, like you said, like there's there's a line and I think you were like just on the other side of it and I was, you know, just on, on the, the it didn't like it side and you were just on the, yeah, it's fine, it doesn't bother me side. So again, I think that it was the right choice for this game uh, because given the constraints of the technology at the time and the fact that they are trying to take something that is entirely reaction-based and put it into turn-based strategy, 
doing something engaging like that that is reaction time based is is very very smart and i think the way to go i just didn't like the way it it impacted my experience with it so and since this always culminates with who would i recommend this to it's like these are the things that where it's like if you like turn-based strategy great here are the things that it does that's a little bit off that you should be aware of if you're going to get into this, you know? Yeah. And and let's talk about something with the visuals that is indefensible to me because I don't know how this decision could have possibly gotten made, but uh, the maps and the overworld, right? Because the overworld looks a lot like the Super Mario world, right? Where you go between the little dots and then you're suddenly in a new area, but then you have to like move around in that area. And mm-hmm. uh, enemies are on the overworld. So like when you enter a battle you have to like physically make contact with an enemy sprite and all of that like looks nice and it feels good and the environments are like pretty lush and varied right there's there's like where you start out is kind of like at the the you know mario's pad and then you go to the mushroom kingdom but then you go to like all these other crazy locations you go through a mine you go to the nimbus uh whatever it's called the cloud people town i just finished the game today you think i'd have this on my mind ah. nimbus land whatever um Yep. You know, you go into Bowser's keep and you go to the other world where Smithy and the other evil like bad baddies live, right? Like you see all of these interesting different environments and navigating them is a frustrating chore because for some reason they decided, okay, we're going to do this uh, isometric camera and it's static, right? You obviously can't rotate anything, but you're going to have this isometric view. And so the world is just floating in nothingness. So when you get near the edge of the map, there often isn't any kind of wall or barrier. The The ground just stops. Like it just comes to an abrupt halt. And sometimes, and by sometimes, I mean a lot of the time where you have to cross to leave that area to go into the next area or to, uh, you know, move within the area you're in, not always clear. And it's, like really, really bad in a a handful of instances, particularly in this, uh, a few like underground environments. But like, I just, I found myself like skating along the side of an invisible wall sometimes. Or just like, okay, oh man, were you, were you doom humping the walls? I mean a little, right? (laughs) Because it's just like, I know it's like, I know the, the way out of this area is, somewhere like in this 45 degrees like this 90 degree sweep in front of me because everything in this platforming challenge led me to this spot so obviously i'm going to leave this section of the map somewhere right here but is it is it right here is it right there and most of the entry and exit ways are not wide they're like you know two two marios wide so you kind of you have to hit the mark and i mean I'm talking seconds of lost time where it's like, where is it? Oh, there it is. Right. But, but after you do that on every single screen for a 20 hour game, it just, it's like make, make the shoot where you can cross out of that area longer. Give it a Mm -hmm. a gradient effect where it's like, Oh, if it's a hard line, it's a wall. And if there's a gradient effect, it means you can pass through that way. Right. It do, do something to clearly communicate this is an invisible wall and on the other side of it is infinite nothingness. And this is not an invisible wall. And on the other side of it is the entire rest of the game. Right? Like I just, yep. the amount of times that I caught myself thinking like, how did they settle on this? 
<laughs> I, I like that was what really killed me about it is I was just like, this looks great. Someone clearly put a lot of thought into the enemy placement into uh, the, the, the platform placement, right? Cause when you're on the overworld, you can jump like Mario and you have to do quite a bit of platforming to just get around, right? It's not like fake final fantasy platforming where you press up and you always do the jump perfectly. Like you have to do real Mario. I mean, it's, RPG ish, but you have to do like real platforming to just navigate the world. And it like, they don't communicate the parts of the world you can interact with very well at all. Now, granted the failure, the penalty for failure is just lost time, but it's frustrating. It's frustrating yep. to jump against the wall that you thought was the exit of that space or to try to jump on a platform that it's like, no, that's background. You can't actually jump high enough or you can't interact with it at all. And I just, by the time I finished the game, I was like, I had that feeling one too many times. You know, it's interesting. Outside of in, in a, in a modern like country, right. You know, um, outside of like some very rare circumstances, right. Cause we, we can make the art. This is getting a little philosophical and tangential, but um, if we make the argument that the chance of death, right. Is very low statistically you know, outside in the U.S., right? For just like, you know, random thing goes wrong and you, you, you know, you die, right? If we assume that that to be true, the penalty for, for most failure is lost time, you know? It's just how yeah. much time did you lose, right? Like I just, you just made me think of that where I was just kind of like, yeah, I didn't like this other thing, but I guess all I did was lose time. I didn't really like this and I lost, well, that, and then I thought like, well, I, th- I don't like this other thing too. That made me lose money which I mean, I exchanged my money for time or time for money. So I guess really I just lost some time. Oh God, it's all time. Isn't it? I mean, I guess the, the frustration kicks in when you feel like the failure rate has uh, risen some unacceptable amount above zero, mm-hmm. right? Because in most games, I would say I know how to transition from one area to the next. And there's some rate pretty close to zero, which I'm willing to tolerate. Oh, I thought that door would open, but it's just part of the background. And this game, you know, runs asunder of that. It runs afoul of that where it's just well, like, no, the amount of times that I was like, where's the door? Oh, there it is. It's like, no, that was too many times for one game to get away with it. Well, I think that that the two things. One is I think that the ratio is amount of time lost to the degree t- to the amount of error you perceive you made, you know? So, for example, I am willing to deal with losing a lot more time if I can admit that I screwed something up to be like, ah, no, I, I, I duffed that. I, you know, I'm fine getting kicked back a little bit, be like, okay, let me, let me redo this. But, but again, you know, like two is, is that that speaks to you like, you know, because I always love the one about cycle time, right? Is that, you know, it's like if I get punted back a little bit because I made a mistake, then that's fine. But if I get punted back a lot of bit because I made a minor error, that's irritating, right? So if you're getting, if you're losing even just a small amount of time with something that's absolutely not your fault, right? You know, your threshold for that is super low. So even if it's like a second or two and you're like, this isn't my, I'm not doing anything wrong, you know? Yeah. Like that's draw better that's, maps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause it's, 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 it's not your fault. Um, I, so yeah, I, the, the one other thing I had for, uh, for visuals, I've, I've got another thing in gameplay that may come into visuals, but it, I, I'm fine with leaving it in gameplay. Um, so the one other thing I had for visuals is, uh, so there is platforming in, uh, isometric, right? Isometric, my, isometric, right? yeah. Yep. Yeah. Isometric game, right? Um, which is not 
as bad as platforming in a first person shooter. <laughs> But it's not as good at platforming <laughs> at a side-scrolling 2D game. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do the shadow thing, which is hypercritical, because basically that's the only way to navigate platforming, is to look at where your shadow is and line it up with where you want to go. Um, it's just, it's not, it's not as clean. You know, it's just not. You know, like, uh, there's tons of places where, you know, two things interacted with each other, and especially absent an analog stick which this game is you know like trying to angle a jump at 45 degrees on the screen but it's there's another thing that's moving you know like if we want to talk about things that were where i lost time and was frustrated because i didn't feel it was my fault this fell into that category so um again trying to adapt a platformer to uh to to an rpg you know I don't know what I necessarily would have done differently or better, but that being said is that this type of view style is the wrong one to use for platforming. And I know Mar and I know that Nintendo knows that because uh when they were doing um Super Mario Brothers 3, right? They actually because I watched the video on this which doesn't count as research, it was entertainment. But <laughs> When they did Super Mario Brothers 3, they actually started using an isometric view for that game and scrapped it because platforming was too difficult. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> the reason, so when they went to make Super Mario Brothers 3, the main complaint about Super Mario Brothers 2 was that it was not visually uh, different enough. So they said, we are going to make a very visually different game, which is why they start, tried out different viewpoints. And they were like, no, 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 no. Let's go with, you know, this straight 2D. So again, you know, like they, Nintendo knows that this is not a way to do platforming with this view style. Um, Square didn't. So, well, and, and <laughs> you know, again, let's not uh, give away too much on the mechanics of it, but the penalty for failing any of the platforming is it is still time lost because it's all time in the end, but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's usually, our, it's our determinism. <laughs> all the way down (laughs) Um, but it it's usually a very minor amount Mm -hmm. right it's it's a paper cut it's annoying the way a paper cut is annoying but you don't die you don't have to start the level over it doesn't delete your save you don't lose a boss fight right so it's i i agree that it is no question the wrong choice for platforming the this camera angle would have to work hard to be worse at platforming <laughs> but because the platforming is more there to make mario look and behave the way you expect mario to look and behave it's it's not as as big of a ding as it possibly could be right because it it's when you you jump like up onto a little platform and you're like oh good i made it it doesn't have the like, oh man, that was so tricky and I'm an amazing Mario player. But also right. when you fall off the platform and you take no damage and you just have to walk in a little loop and go back and, you know, jump up and then jump over it again, you're just like, eh, okay. Right. So it's yep. b- because they reduce the penalty to like, you lo- you lost a couple seconds. It doesn't feel like the game design catastrophe that it would have been if they'd shipped Super Mario <laughs> Brothers 3 as an isometric yes. platformer. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that would have been controller shattering. But I, I agree, it was. It's just you know, all, all it is is just a, a number of different paper cuts. And then eventually, they took all the paper that made all those paper cuts, and you know what they made with it? Paper Mario. They did. <laughs> <laughs>
There's a but, new uh, one of those coming out, and I am super excited. Yeah, no, it it it. We should do it for a, a new nostalgia goggles episode. Ooh, but actually, uh, Paper Mario was originally uh, going to be Super Mario RPG two until they realized that Square owned that name, so they decided to name it Paper Mario. Yeah, well, but, uh, the Mario and Luigi series on the Nintendo DS, I think. Um, also, the obvious successor to this, but is you know its own kind of little thing. Um, also, not an isometric camera. Um, I do want to mention another thing. Funny that. (laughs) So somebody learned a lesson. I do want to mention about uh, a dissonance issue I encountered uh, where most of the visuals in this game are like bright and colorful and very Nintendo. And uh, then some of them are not. Some of them are giant, terrifying demons with like, you know, empty eye sockets that come over and one hit kill you with their scythe hands. Right. So there's there is some you know final fantasy dungeons and dragons stuff that necessarily made its way into this game and the universe that this game inhabits but sometimes it's the dissonance is is bad like it is alarming when you are like you know oh hey it's mario and bowser and peach teaming up to save the mushroom kingdom also that cake has cannon arms and its eyes don't focus in the same direction at the same time which makes it look like it's insane like it, <laughs> there's just there's there's a lot of of places where they obviously just said like oh we need this enemy for story purposes or we need this enemy for for tone and theme purposes and they did a good job drawing the sprite and they made it animate nicely and they did all of the work, but it just, it's, it's discordant with Mario and princess peach in his flat red and her and her flat pink, right? Like there's just, it's, I mean, discordance really about the best word I could think for it. It's just, it doesn't feel like it quite fits. And that extends to a lot of the, um, magic or I guess like special attacks and things that enemies have. Cause like when, you know, this like Smithy, the final boss, like he has a sledgehammer attack because he has a hammer and it looks like the big super Mario world, you know, hammer that's mm-hmm. in the, um, in some of the, the Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, not that, not that one. It looks like the, the like environmental obstacle, like the right. Right. Um, that's kind of on brand. And then, uh, there's other enemies that have like attacks that make the entire screen look like it's on fire or attacks that roll boulders across the entire screen or uh, rain stars down and it's supposed to be like a meteor shower. And there, there's just this constant clash of thematic tone. Like, is this a light and fun Mario game or is this a square RPG that pulls obvious roots from like Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy. And sometimes it's executed really well. The life spell, which is called come back, which is adorable, right? It, it looks like uh, the life spell from Final Fantasy six, where it shines a light down on you. But then instead of a little baby angel, it's a little superstar because of course it is. Right. And like uh, the, the healing items are mushrooms. And when you toss them up in the air, it looks like, you know, a a mushroom item that you would find in the game. Right. So like there are places where they RPG ified Mario things, but places where they took things from their RPG, like palette of stuff, they didn't really Mario it down 
very well. <laughs> <laughs> like they they RPG'd up a bunch of Mario stuff, but they didn't Mario down a lot of the RPG elements, which just led to this kind of weird thematic clash. And and I suspect these are the kinds of like, oh, that felt weird that they really tried to address in Paper Mario and in uh, the Mario and Luigi Superstar, whatever they're called, that series of games, because those games have all been very successful. Paper Mario games are very successful and they all are of a kind, right? They're all like, oh, they, they're all Mario RPGs. And it's like, yeah, they are. And they basically took none of the elements from Super Mario RPG because a lot of that stuff didn't work and we're only on <laughs> visuals. Yep. And I think that, uh, you know, to your point is that, and I've used this analogy a number of times, uh, which is this, this game was forging the sword, you know? So it's like, in the sense that, you know, it, like there, there are a number of things where it's like it, the, the sword needed to be honed, you know, is the game like it, it sh- it's it, this actually, I, I think a better analogy is this game's a great proof of concept, you know, mm-hmm. like where it's like, can Super Mario be an RPG? Absolutely. Hone this a little bit, though. Like, there's some some things where you're like, "Yeah, that works. That works." Whoa, what happened there? Okay, let's do, put a note. Come back to it. That works. That works. You know. So, agreed. Um, audio, audio. It is. Uh, so yeah. So I, I again, it, surprise. I don't have great audio notes. Um, but uh, I basically the main thing that I thought that I really enjoyed was I thought they did a good job. Um, paying homage to the original Mario scores without like making it just a rehash of all old Mario songs, you know. So there's enough of them in there where you're like, oh yeah, you know, this is a Mario game. But then they've got enough of their own music to where it's not just like, oh yeah, this is this is just the, an, another callback another Mario game. So all of the music feels like Mario music, and they do enough of actual Mario music that it helps mentally bridge the gap to the point of like, I know this looks a bit different and I know it behaves a little bit different, but it is still a Mario game. Uh, but they don't just rely on that wholesale. I think that a good like kind of uh, analog example would be, a, um, you know, like the use of Iron Man, the song in the Iron Man movie mm-hmm. where, you know, it's like, it's, it's, if they just been blaring that the whole time, you're like, I get it. Iron Man, <laughs> but like at the very end, Tony Stark goes, I am Iron Man. It's like, yeah, like, yeah, okay, good. That was the right way. To, like, well, because they spent 90 same. minutes earning that moment, exactly. So, I felt that that same way here, where unlike with Legend of Zelda 2, where I said the best thing <laughs> is that they didn't use the Zelda music. <laughs> Like, I think that this was the opposite where I felt that they did a good job using the Mario music to make it feel like a Mario game. Yeah. And we've, when we've talked about square properties in the past, um, they swing for the fences on visuals and audio. They want their productions to be spectacular. And sometimes they, they miss, right? I mean, if, if you will only take swings that you think will be home runs, then when you strike out, you also like dislocate your shoulder, right? It's critical failures and critical successes only. And to their credit, most of the time, right? They're critical. So, hits. Sorry. Yeah. So basically they're, they're like saying like, you know, Hey, I'll give you this D 20 and anything above a 12 will hit anything below 11 misses. And you're like, Better yet, and they just slide a quarter across the table, like 
we're going to flip this coin. <laughs> and if I, if it's heads, it's a crit. And if it's a tails, it's a, like, if it's a heads, it's a 20. If it's tails, it's a one, you yeah. know? And it's I like, mean, wait, th- wait, they've gotten really good at flipping that coin and making it land on heads. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it still comes up on tails, right? So th- it's yeah. like, it's not 50 50 in the sense that they miss half the time, but when they miss, it is a full on miss, right? And you right. can see that a lot in some of the later Final Fantasies where they just did utterly bizarre things with their musical choices. <laughs> Whereas in uh, in this game, I think uh, because they know, like we are known for this powerful, you know, sweeping scores, but also this game already has incredibly well-known and popular music that if we screw up, everyone will hate us. They, it really does feel like, um, it, it's almost like the music in this game is a tribute to the Mario music as opposed to like a rewriting or a rearranging because the, the, the themes you expect, you know, the Mario theme, it is in here, but it's not the main song. In fact, I think you have to hunt it down, right? Like it's nowhere in the game. Do they just go like, right? Because that would be ham fisted. That's not, that's not what this is, but the very first piece of music you hear in the, the mushroom kingdom area of the map, all of that music sounds like it's right out of a super Mario game, right? It's right out of super Mario world or right out of Yoshi's Island. Like it's exactly on brand. And, uh, this soundtrack, I actually, um, added this to my list of like, Oh, this is a game soundtrack. I will just listen to like, this music is, it's not, it's not all phenomenal. Like there are some, like the battle music is just like, yeah, okay. I've heard it a thousand times. That's enough. But, uh, <laughs> but like most of the, the town music and the area music, um, the, some of the, like the boss, uh, music, a few of the bosses have unique scores. Like they're, they're all more epic versions of Mario esque tunes, right? Th- this is where I think they did a really good job of, RPGing up and Marioing down the music better than I think they did with the visuals is everything musically sounds really good. Now the sound effects is a little more hit and miss because some of the sound effects are obvious Mario sound effects and some of them are obvious RPG sound effects because they must be right. Mario does not have any lightning spells. Mario does not have any area of effect spells that shoot out of a man's wrists. Like there's just, there's a bunch of stuff that there isn't really like a version of in the Mario universe. And so they, they, they try again, right? They RPG up some Mario sounds and they try and Mario down some RPG sounds to get this new sound palette. And mostly they're really good, but there's a few that are like that high tinny grading, like, Oh, they ran out of lower sound registers, so they had to like go <laughs> way up there. And one of them is the um, thank you, like when you bring someone back from the dead, and it goes, wah, wah, and it's supposed to be them like nodding and saying thank you, and it's just on the wrong side of screechy. Right? Like I get it, I get why they did that noise, but don't stop doing that. Stop, <laughs> stop putting screechy sound effects in your video. Games. Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> definitely agreed on that. One of the um. So, and, and yeah, with the sound effects, I don't really feel like the sound effects really ever fed me information that I needed outside of, you know, enhancing the experience. 
Um, the one thing that I will say about the sound effects, or the, the last thing I kind of have about sound, is um, I thought that they did a good job uh, keeping Mario as being a silent protagonist. You know, um, so he is very, very animated, and like he's clearly, you know, like talking and like jumping around, and especially when somebody's like, "You're, you're Mario," and he like emphatically like shakes his head, and then when it's like, "Oh my gosh, Peach has been captured," and he's like what you know and he does like this kind of big like oh my gosh kind of thing i also really enjoyed the couple of times when like the the uh um mushroom people like would ask him to tell the story thus far and oh, yeah, he would and he then go pantomimes everything yeah exactly so you know he doesn't Mario never gets a speech bubble and he never speaks or makes any speech like sound effects and and again i felt that you know the there was a time and a place to give Mario a voice, and apparently it was in Mario 64. But, uh, you know, th- this was not that time or place, and so I'm glad that they didn't. You know, I think that was the right choice to make him a silent protagonist. And then they did it, did a great job with that, you know, with the visuals of, you know, making them over the top and very cartoony to kind of keep it in place. But, uh, yeah, I-, I was glad that none of the, um, none of the Mario characters spoke. Um, there's, <laughs> There's something I can't think of a good way to describe this, but like uh, that audio comment was, I'm glad there wasn't any audio because the visuals are good. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that is, and and I'm with you a thousand percent. Like I, I absolutely think, you know, cause Bowser has dialogue and princess peach has dialogue. Everybody else speaks. Mario's the only completely silent character and it's exactly like, you know, Link or Chrono or any other silent protagonist where everybody else can clearly understand them. We, the player, just don't get to see the way they speak, right? Because obviously there's no recorded uh, dialogue. But um, I think that probably is the right choice because if you just did a bunch of like, yahoos, like every right. single time he had dialogue, that would be annoying. And if they wrote out his dialogue, then they would have to characterize him in a way they've historically avoided, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Princess Preach, Princess Preach, Princess Preach, Princess Preach, Preach, Toadette. <laughs> I know that's not her <laughs> name. Uh, she, she has like a defined character, right? Bowser has a defined character. So you can write dialogue for them and have it be in character. Uh, with Mario, he's kind of zany and and like really happy and silly and to do that through just a lot of like wahoos would not be a way to convey like large blocks of text so i'm I'm with you i'm glad they didn't do anything with that uh the one thing i will push back on though is i do feel like there are audio cues that are helpful none of them are necessary uh if you Mm -hmm. use the super jump where you can like repeatedly you know just jump forever um Mm -hmm. You can do that a hundred percent visually, but the the length that it takes that sound effect to play out helps mm. keep that rhythm going. Um, the uh, the the like when you execute an attack and you kind of get used to some of the way, like oh, this is where the sound beat is on Bowser's attack for him to get a crit versus on Peach's attack or on Mario. And Mario has a few different weapons and they have different timing. And you can do it all visually. You absolutely can, no question. But like the the sound of it just reinforces it a little bit. And uh, you get an audio cue if you successfully crit or block. Obviously, the visual is different. So again, you don't need the audio cue, but it just 
they they play together really well in a way that I think their absence would be felt. Agreed. No, I didn't. I didn't really think about about those two things. But yeah, I mean, you know, agreed. There is a different sound, and that sound does help because if you're gonna, cause, oh, because this is one thing, and this is actually a good lead into mechanics, um, which is that uh, the game accepts a button press during that crit window. It accepts one, or at a minimum, <laughs> it it. If you it registers as you must not press at the wrong time and you must press at the right time, which is to say that if you're just hammering the button, mm-hmm. it's not going to let you do that, you know. And I know that because typically my knee jerk is just I would hit it at the right time, but my knee jerk is to like hit the button three times. I don't know why that's my habit, but that is my habit. Um, and so then it, I was like, it's just not working. It's just not working. So I had to get into the rhythm of pressing it just the once and in order to hit that semi-narrow window and hit it and hit it once, uh, yeah, you kind of need any any help you can get. So both visual and audio uh, is uh, critical and and yes, definitely helpful. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the controls and the mechanics because I do want to call out a few interesting control specific things. Uh, namely, the controls in the battle are weird. And they're weird, not because they're bad. I actually think this choice is very clever, but history just didn't work out this way. So when you are on uh, the battle screen and it's that character's turn, the uh, controls show up, right? So it's, you know, uh, X, B, and then A, Y. And uh, X is the item menu. A is attack. B is like run, defend. And then why is special and to navigate those menus, you don't use those buttons to open them, use those buttons for confirmation as well. So if you want to attack, you hit a, and then a again, if you want to use a spell or a special item, you hit Y, select the spell and then hit Y again. And then Mm -hmm. if you want to use an item, you hit X to open the item menu, go to the item you want and then hit X again. And when you're in any menu, any button that isn't that menus button will cancel you out of that menu. And so history has not supported that decision at all. (laughs) And prehistory as well. Like that, that was novel at the time, as far as I, as far as I'm aware. And I can't really think of another game that did that kind of thing after, but they were trying to, and this is the meat of my mechanics stuff that I'll, I'll want to really dig in on is, they were trying to, let's call it streamline and simplify what could otherwise be a complicated RPG experience to make it more digestible. And they thought about that all the way down to what buttons does the player have to press to make a thing happen? And how do we make specials clearly and obviously different from attacks? We'll make them different buttons. How will we make items clearly and obviously different so that you would never accidentally select an item when you meant to an attack? They are literally different buttons on the physical controller, which is also physically represented on screen in the same orientation. So I thought that that was awkward because I'm not used to navigating menus that way, but you can so clearly see why they did it and what they were trying to accomplish. And that that I think is is really smart. And it's, it's almost a shame that that didn't become like a pseudo standard. Um, cause it, it's really clever. Yeah. Agree. I actually, I actually liked that a lot, especially because there were definitely a couple of times where I was like, okay, 
I want to go check on my status. Do you think A, thing B, all right? And then, and then I'd say, all right, now I want to back out. Oh, no, wait, I pressed the bar. I, I pressed confirm. But because I'm used to just Y being confirm, but that wasn't the button that, you know, I needed to press. So it just, and all it does is just back you out one screen. So the fact that there's literally one way to confirm what you want to do and three ways to cancel means that you are more likely to, if you just mess up and press a wrong button, there's a 75% chance that you don't execute, you know? Which, again, if you're saying like, oh, well, you know, we want to make an RPG, but we want to make it as approachable as possible. It's like, then let's make it so that way the chances of you screwing up, if you're not paying close attention, are one in four, you know? And so I, I think that yeah, I'm 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 actually kind of surprised that that didn't catch on because I think that especially if it had gotten it, one of the things that is problematic about going back and playing old games is that you know you your muscles have now been trained for 20 years on whatever the industry standard is. So if there's another one that could be objectively better, but it's just not in the muscle memory, then you're like, okay, I need to to edit this and change it to what I'm used to. You know? Yeah, I mean it, it's um, it's inverted controls, right? For the people yep. who inverted controls make sense, you know, non-inverted controls seems like being drunk. They're like, how can you function this way? And it's the same in the other direction, right? People who don't use inverted controls, they pick up the controller on somebody else's save file where the settings are set to inverted. It's just like, oh my God, how do you do? Right? So if you gave this game to someone who had never seen it before and you were like, select a spell and you didn't say anything else, they would say like, okay, well, a is confirm, B is cancel. So I'm going to hit left to open up that menu and then hit A to confirm. And they would go to do that and nothing would happen. And then the attack menu would open and they'd be like, wait. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, agreed. Um, so we, we, we'll, we'll play back and forth and see as our the, the, the big meaty things that we want to get into, uh, kind of how they'll play off each other. So um I've got uh three three main meat three main meat meat sticks. Um <laughs> Fogo de that, came, that that came out exactly the way I wanted it to. <laughs> so proud of what I've done today. Uh one is is as I mentioned before, this game has a incredibly low cognitive load. For those of our listeners at home, uh what is cognitive load? So Cognitive load is uh, the amount of calculations per second you are being asked to make. So the the typical uh, trick question example that's given is, um, you know, like chess versus Call of Duty, which has the higher cognitive load, right? It, is is this the way people actually phrase this? Yeah, I've, or at least the way that I've seen it <laughs> phrased, right? So which which would have a higher cognitive load, chess or um, Call of Duty? I mean, I've feel like it's a trick question but my honest response is call of duty right so and the thing the funny thing is it is a trick question and i i I get either either or right which kind of proves point which is that they're actually about the same right because chess has a longer amount of time for you to make much deeper calculations while call of duty is calling causing for you to make very very small choices but way 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 faster got it so So the the total load works out Correct, because it's it's calculations per unit time. So right. how much time are you given to make these calculations, right? So um, so that being said, is like a game, a, a, an RPG typically demands for you to make way, way, way more calculations. Take Final Fantasy Tactics, right? Think about how many different 
plans, iterations. I mean, literally how tactically you have to think about every single situation, right? So even though it's a turn and a turn can last forever, right? You are sitting there chugging so much during that amount of time, right? Um, even Pokemon Sword, right? Like, which, you know, has a lower cognitive load. You're still sitting there desperately trying to think of like, okay, they're going to play this Pokemon, which is this type. I have this Pokemon, which has these attacks and this type. And you're trying to tight match and beat the rock, paper, scissors game, right? This game doesn't really have that, you know? So basically it's like, here are some bad guys. Here are your bad guys. Go. And so it's like, okay, attack, attack, use global attack, attack. You know, and so the, the cognitive load is so low as that it it doesn't really pull. And, and again, like it may be appropriate for somebody of a much lower games literacy or lower cognitive development. You know, that being said, is for a full grown adult, you know, like you're like, okay, g- give me something more, which is why I said like the pressing of the button almost pulled me in a little too much because I'm like, if I could just completely disconnect from this and do something else to fill my brain space while I'm doing this other thing. Like that could help, but you know, it, it demands that you give it a hundred percent of your attention because of the timing, but then it doesn't fill that attention with, in my opinion, enough. So that that was something that, that really kind of was an interesting again, I did a lot of thinking about this, a lot of soul searching. <laughs> so and, and that's one of the things I came up with for why I didn't really enjoy it, which is just the cognitive load is so low that it kind of becomes boring and it and you can't change the pace because of the animations and because of everything else you can't speed it up to the point where it fills your cognitive load to the point where you're comfortable yeah and i so the phrase that i struggled with because i i really don't mean this in a pejorative way which is why i struggled with like what would i call my feelings about the mechanics is you know the the obvious first one that jumped to mind was baby's first rpg and I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, I don't like that because that implies that someone who could handle a more sophisticated experience can't enjoy a simpler experience, right? Like you might not have, but that doesn't mean it can't be done, right? Sure. Someone could say like, I'm capable of, of playing chess at a world-class level, but I also enjoyed checkers, right? Like that's, those two things can both be true. Um, so then I thought like my first RPG and it's like, no, cause that's the same kind of problem. And then uh, I came up with like RPG junior and I was like, no, cause that again has like a pejorative, like, you know, kid kind of thing. Um, so, so the one I settled on was RPG light, right? Like it's, it's a diet RPG. And I, I really truly do not mean that in a bad way. And to, you know, give a big thumbs up and pat on the back to the developers, they had to take, Final Fantasy, because that I mean that's what this is, right? This is Final Fantasy yeah. wearing Mario clothes, or it's Mario cosplaying as Final Fantasy, depending on which direction you're looking at it from. But they had to take a very complicated stat system, battle system, and the you know the elemental weaknesses and and all of the other things that you see in Final Fantasies of this era and beyond, and make them approachable and make those problems solvable to someone who did not get any of that. So a good example is like every time you gain a level, you get a bonus and you can either raise your power. So you do more physical damage and you take less physical damage. You can raise your HP, which does what it says on the tin, or you can raise your special where you, your specials have more of an effect and you also are less weak against them. Right? So that's in Final Fantasy, what I just described would be 47 different stats with really archaic and confusing names that were poorly translated from Japanese. 
And then you would have to work out like, oh, okay, well, if I put on this armor and that shield and this helmet and these gloves, that will give me this crazy physical stat bonus. But if I forget to change to those gloves and this shield before I go fight that boss, I'm going to die because that boss only uses magic attacks and physical defense isn't going to save me. None of that happens here. None of that happens here. And I know because I just, I like actually looked cause I was curious. Um, the bonuses are not the same on every level. So there is actually an optimal, like you take power on this level and then HP on that level. And that's how you get the most out of each bonus. Or you can just always make the people who attack increase their power. And you can always make princess peach. Who's your healer increase her special and never put in another thought, right? Like it can be min maxed and you can, you know, squeeze more juice out of it, but you don't have to, you can do the obvious simple path. You could do it at random and, and get all of the worst bonuses. Cause you picked the wrong one for every single level and it wouldn't matter, right? You can still beat the game. You can still be successful and not see an overwhelming difference between the worst path and the ideal path. And that's, this is not a complaint. This is a compliment. That is an incredibly hard thing to do. It is really, really hard to have pseudo randomness in the way the enemies behave and the complete randomness of what a player might do and then shove all that through a math funnel that's using these stats to generate outcomes and say, on the other side of this formula, there won't be so much variety between the worst possible outcome and the best possible outcome that someone who is consistently getting the worst possible outcome will find the game to be unplayable. Like that is, that's an incredible accomplishment. It makes the game reductive in a lot of ways, but like they clearly did that on purpose. Yeah. And, and, and like you said, is that it is very much so a, a, truncated rpg they were saying like okay we want to hit the midpoint between a platformer and an rpg so here's here's what we got there's some platforming there's some truncated rpgs and i think like i said is that the 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 deliberately low cognitive load was deliberate you know um that being said though is that i think that time has borne out a little bit that there are ways to make games approachable to you know, like people who aren't super into the RPG aspect of it. I mean, like take uh, take Dead Cells, right? Teddy can play Dead Cells. He's not even literate, you know? <laughs> um, there's <laughs> there's tons of ways to make the absolutely best character, but if your Twitch reflexes are decent enough and Teddy's are better than I'd like to admit, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, then like you can just, you can have garbage equipment, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So they they, I feel like games have gotten better at, creating experiences to where somebody who wants that depth of experience can spend hours optimizing a game where somebody else can just kind of play it and have fun. Um, which, and this is, this is my own, my own experience with it, which is that I felt that all of the rewards in the game because of the pacing of combat, right? Is a combat in and of itself was not very rewarding, right? Um, the platforming, as we said, was not very rewarding, right? You know, I mean, like, it's not like a Mario, a true Mario game where you're like, oh, yeah, you know, like you said, by the skin of my teeth, I got that. And the combat is not cognitively, again, cognitively engaging enough to be rewarding in and of itself, which then begs the question, what are the rewards in this game, right? 
And so I feel that this game is kind of an exemplar from at least my own personal seat of the difference between internal and external uh, intrinsic and extrinsic reward systems, right? So I believe that the reward that you get in, in general for playing this game is more story or higher numbers, right? So you're either playing the game for the story, and so you play the games that way you can get more of the story, right? Or you play the game so you can get more powerful Mario, right? Um, or more powerful Peach or more powerful Bowser, right? You play it so you can watch the numbers go up, right? Which, I mean, again, is a very human thing. But both of those are extrinsic rewards in the sense that they are things... That, that playing the game itself is not necessarily rewarding. You're playing the game so you can get more story, mm-hmm. right? Or you're playing the game so you can get higher levels. The act of actually playing the game, the platforming and the combat is not wildly rewarding. So this game relies very heavily on extrinsic rewards instead of intrinsic rewards, which is just something that I'm a little sensitive to. And I think that most gamers our age are because we have so little time to game that I want the experience itself to be satisfying, not at the end of it to be like, well, that was an hour and I guess I had a little bit of fun, but Hey, Mario's now level seven instead of level five. Oh, that doesn't feel super rewarding, you know? That's definitely a an effect of the the diet RPG, right? The RPG lightness mm-hmm. of it is, you know, well, we can't have super complicated platforming because that raises the barrier to entry. We can't have super complicated combat because that raises the barrier to entry, right? Anything that would make the game more appealing to someone who has a higher games literacy, I think almost by necessity is going to raise the barrier to entry, right? You, you you could enjoy a game of chess against me because you can try insane things, right? (laughs) But, But eventually if I didn't get better at chess, that would stop being fun, right? You just chessing circles around me. That's how you verb that, right? You just, yeah, yeah you, you just, you know, that that eventually loses its luster and, and usually it doesn't super take all that long, right? So that there's, they, they definitely optimize for keeping that barrier to entry low, but that means you kind of need to know that going in. Otherwise you're going to be like, where's the depth? It's like, oh no, there isn't any, we're trying to keep the barrier to entry low. And it's like, ah, okay. Well, I, <laughs> And I think, though, that, you know, again, later RPGs uh, and later games have found solutions to that problem. And again, you know, like a product of its age. But, you know, where you can say like, okay, for example, you know, you can play the whole game and everything's cool and kosher and all sorts of stuff. But there are these like secret ultra bosses or whatever where you really and, and there are there is a depth of mechanics. Ignore all of it. Just go with whatever generic armor you pick up. That's entirely fine. The game is entirely playable and beatable. If you do everything kind of wrong from the RPG standpoint or arbitrarily, then you'll 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 make it through. It'll be a little bit more of a struggle. You'll probably have to grind a little bit more, but uh but you'll make it through. But if you really want these these ch- challenge courses, right, then um, then you've got to be really, really good on your RPG game. Uh, a, a corollary would be in like the new Mario games, like the challenge courses from a platforming standpoint, the challenge courses are freaking bananas, man. <laughs> like I have seen people on YouTube do this stuff. I'm like, are you serious? Like I did not know that you could use the Yoshis in that way. Like that requires <laughs> a depth of knowledge of the mechanics of how you can murder Yoshis 
you know, to to platform like that. And I didn't even know you could do that, you know, but like people still find that engaging. And again, like I beat the game. I never even touched that level of depth, you know. Um, even Pokemon, the 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 new Pokemon, this Pokemon Sword, like has an interesting way to kind of get a get around some of that that depth, which I think is fascinating. So I do think that it's it's possible to not just go RPG light, but I think that they they basically said, you know, at, at this time in history, it was either RPG heavy or RPG light. There was no they couldn't build a funnel to bridge both. They can now. They figured out how to do it, you know? But at the time, it was like, no, man, we cannot possibly expect for people to play Mario Dungeons and Dragons. So, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be the other thing. And so, I mean, that's fine, you know, but and, that's definitely I mean, we, what we could even extend the benefit of the doubt. And, and what I, I personally think is like, they weren't really trying to do that. They weren't, right. they were erring way on the side of make it approachable to someone who maybe can barely even read, right? Don't give them 20 armor options. Give them one. Don't give them 20 different things. They have to remember, give them zero, right? Like, and that's, you know, cause I, I, I don't want to sell the designers too short. It's, we've definitely come a long way in game design in the, you know, 25 years since then. Um, but that is, uh, I think goes hand in hand with, these are smart people at two of the biggest game making companies ever, certainly at this time in history and still to this day. Uh, and they were probably erring on the side of like hyper caution, right? Because if you're Nintendo, you're licensing out this IP to anyone, then you really don't want that to go poorly. And I mean, you know, there's a reason the Zelda CDI games are such a joke, right? There, there's a reason Mario no longer teaches typing and, and a lot of these other like weird licensing things they did because Nintendo realized no one loves our characters like we love our characters. And even though Square loves their characters, what if they don't love our characters the way we love them? They might love them the way they love them and we want them to love them the way we love them. So there's like, there was probably, you know, uh, big daddy Nintendo just kind of standing behind all of the designers the entire time and saying, like, mm, that was pretty RPG. You just did that. Can you Mario that down a little bit? And again, I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but like they were, they were optimizing for someone who finds Super Mario world approachable, not for someone who finds final fantasy six approachable. Right. Um, and I believe the way you pronounce big daddy Nintendo in Japanese is Miyamoto. Yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure that is the original Japanese pronunciation. Yes, that's, that's how you translate that. Um, so I, I have a, a few of these I want to just run through real quick. Uh, we don't have to go deep on any or all of these, but these were some of the things that jumped out at me as like being RPG light. Um, uh, your health restores after all sorts of stuff. Like if there's a cutscene, you get all your health back. If you finish a boss fight, you get all your health back. Like that just happens. Um, when you die you if you die and win the battle you still get experience and everyone gets experience even if they're not in your active party and if you die you retain the experience you gained on the way to the battle where you died since you last saved but you get all of your items back so just a lot of like freebies to the point where sometimes in combat they actually literally give you a freebie where you yep. use an item and it pops up on the screen and says freebie. And that item, which was supposed to be a one-time use didn't get consumed. So there are a whole bunch of places 
where they literally and figuratively like just give it away for free. And those are the kinds of things like, Oh, you don't, you don't lose your levels. Oh, everyone gets experience. Even if they were dead at the end of combat. Oh, everyone gets experience. Even if they weren't in your party, when combat was happening, like those are the kinds of things you normally have to juggle. Oh no, there's a story battle and I have to bring in this moron that I haven't been using for the entire game in and they're level four and everybody else in my party is level 80 crap, right? Like that's a right. thing that RPGs do to you all the time. In fact, uh, that's another thing on my list. Uh, small numbers. Do you know what the max level for characters in this is? Mm-mm. 30. Hmm. Do you know what level I was when I finished the game doing no side content? 29 24 nice right yeah <laughs> so like i mean that's like if you played you know final fantasy 6 and you're like oh yeah by the end of the game you know i was just in like the high 80s it's like what yeah. how did you do all yeah. the side stuff no eh, just just kind of play through yeah um yeah and actually uh actually do you want to just keep rapid fire um oh the the one other one that really jumped out at me as being uh hilarious because it actually tricked me is uh magic in this is called flower points and you yep. only have one pool of them. Yes. Yes. That's one of my notes. That actually confused me to the point of like I lost a couple boss fights because I was like <laughs> I was like, wait, no, I had 20 flower points, I cast a spell that was two. And then when that person's turn came up again, I only had like eight flower points remaining. And and then once I worked it out, I was like, oh, oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I had a similar experience. And all that basically drove home for me was, uh, got it. And Well, actually, what it made me do is say like, okay, so if I've got Mario and Cloud Guy, whatever his name was. um, Mallow, as in Marshmallow. Yeah, if I got Mario and Mallow, right, and I got one pool of uh, flower points, then Mario is all power and Mallow is all special because there is no point for me to be suboptimally funneling my power points through this terrible hose of Mario when I have this powerhouse of Mallow just waiting to go. So so I guess there are some ways that you can min-max it. But, uh, you know, that yes, yes, that was definitely something that I noticed as well. Um, the, the 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 two final notes I have one very minor one and one a little bit deeper. Um, the one very minor one is really no Luigi like <laughs> you know <laughs> like what what is that about man like like the only thing Nintendo hates more than Luigi is Waluigi you know <laughs> it's just so weird that they introduced a bajillion different new RPG characters and it was like still no Luigi and I'm like all right. All right. I mean, I, I guess that's fine. I mean, so uh, maybe, maybe that's why this entire team went on to make the Mario and Luigi series of <laughs> RPG games because they were like, we feel so bad. We forgot it's it's Home Alone, right? They're like, they got all the way to shipping this game, and they were like, "Where's Luigi?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, god, we me- forgot to put Luigi in the game. <laughs> Luigi. Um, but uh. Like what it makes me think of is it's you know it's like the the meme where there's the exec in fr- exec in front. He's like, okay, we need a bunch of characters for this Mario RPG game. What do you got? And it's like you know a cloud, a random ninja guy, Luigi, just thrown out of the window. <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> uh, but anyways, that wasn't that wasn't the main note. The main note is um, grinding is a chore in this game. Um, 
It just is. Uh, it, again, th- this plays off of the low cognitive load thing. Um, and, and the thing is, I can't, I got a problem, man. I can't not grind in an RPG because here's, <laughs> here's where I find reward in an RPG or really in any turn-based game. I, being, I want everyone listening to imagine you uh, subconsciously scratching your neck when you say, <laughs> man, I, I got a problem. I can't not grind <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I just, hey, hey, y'all, y'all got any of them experience doubling accessories? You, you, you got any more of those experience points over there? Because I could really use some experience points. Uh, yeah, but no, I mean, literally, uh, because the because part of the joy that I find in games like this is um, being able to walk up to the boss fight that's supposed to be challenging, where the boss is like, "You have never fought someone as powerful as me before," and be like, "No." No, yeah, I'm going to beat you in one hit. Um, to the point where, like, literally, what I do a lot of the nights with my spare time after a long day is I come in, I put on Civilization Six, I turn it all the way down to the easiest possible difficulty, ramp up science as hard as I can, and beat the ever-loving mess out of knights with mechanized infantry. And it is just <laughs> delightful to me to have a world leader come up to me and say, "I denounce you, sir. I find your actions despicable." I am going to declare war on you and wipe you from the face of the planet. And then like three turns later for them to be like, uh, so can we have peace for me to go? No, no, no. You started this, you know, like it's just, I find deep satisfaction in that. So because of that, I tend to grind in RPGs. Um, and, 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 and grinding is a chore in this game. So actually the question is how, how do you kind of get around that? Right? Because if you say, okay, well, I'm going to give you bigger challenges with bigger experience. Uh, then that just scales the game higher and this, all of the numbers are higher. So Pokemon Sword actually found a good way around this. Have you been playing is, Pokemon Sword recently? I, I, I haven't. You, you haven't come out and, and said it, but there's been some subtle cues over the course of this I, episode. A friend of mine's been playing Pokemon Sword lately. <laughs> um, no, I bought it for Teddy. Um, <laughs> and then I, I, I definitely played the majority of it without him. Um He's not very good at it. He kept making suboptimal choices. Um, and he just couldn't tolerate this. <laughs> well, because in some of the battles, you can gigamax your Pokemon to make it huge. He's like, I want to see the bear be huge. I'm like, you wanted the bear to be huge the last three times. The bear's a fighting type, and this is a psychic type. Are you insane? <laughs> and it's like, make the bear huge. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways. Uh, so what Pokemon Sword did is that um, they, they had like kind of like the grassy areas where there was like the normal stuff that you could find and catch and all sorts of stuff. But then they'd have big, giant, fully evolved guys like walking around that you could easily avoid. But if you fought them, they were you were like level 20 and they were like level 35, 40. So it would really test. You had to know the game's mechanics really well in order to beat them. And if you did, you would power level. You know, so they put in hooks for you to power level. But if you were to do that, you had to be really good at the game. So both tested you mechanically on your ability to do the game. And your reward was the fact that you don't have to fight 50 Pokemon. You can just fight one, you know. So this game, a lot of RPGs don't have stuff like that. This game particularly didn't. And because it, it because of its low cognitive load and its rely on reliance on external rewards... I just found grinding to be a chore because I did not enjoy the combat in and of itself. No, and you're completely right. I would say over the arc of the game, you don't really have to grind, but 
they don't really I have to grind. Well, sorry, I have to grind. Yes, you have to grind. One <laughs> does not have to grind. One does not have to grind. Okay. Yes. One does not have to grind, but they don't really communicate that to you, right? There are enemies there's no random encounters. The enemy sprites are visible on screen and many of them can be completely avoided and that's actually probably pretty okay. I would say if you avoided half the fights you would probably still be a high enough level to be successful and you could easily avoid more than half. So if you're just, you know, bumming about the universe, you will gain enough levels to not, not have to go and grind on purpose. One would gain enough levels to not have to go grind on purpose. So I agree with you you that grinding uh, is absolutely a chore in this battle system and in this game, but it's not, it's not something the game designers are intending for a player to do. So, you ready to to ask the big question? Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you a little, uh, I'll open the kimono to you and the listeners here, which is, um, you actually made me waffle a little bit on my, <laughs> uh, on my feelings over the course of this episode, because uh, my original rating was no nostalgia goggles required, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sticking with that, but I came really close to moving to nostalgia (laughs) monocle, but I will tell you what kept me in no nostalgia goggles required all of my complaints. And I think all of your complaints are all legitimate, right? These are their objective facts that we are, or their subjective opinions that we're trying to back up with our, our objective observations, right? Um, the one thing that kept this in, no nostalgia goggles required territory is you could, in my opinion, take this game and give it to a person who is games literate and likes RPGs and wants all of the apparent, uh, you know, symphony and depth that Pokemon sword and shield offers to a person. Um, but if you just tell them, uh, you are not going on a thrilling roller coaster. This is, it's a small world, right? Mm-hmm. Then, they will align their expectations correctly. And uh, that to me would be the deal breaker. And I don't consider that an asterisk because it's just like, I like it's a small world, but I know what I'm getting into. If I thought I was getting on the Matterhorn, right? The murder horn. And then it turned out it was, it's a small world. I would be understandably disappointed. But if I know I'm sitting down to this kind of simplistic, sort of childish colorful world that sometimes has terrifying demons in it that can kill you in one shot. Then, you know, that like that's fine. I know what I'm getting into, right? I know I'm reaching for an RPG light, not an RPG, right? So it should be Super Mario RPG light colon Legend of the Seven Stars. But so that that's to me what kept it in no nostalgia goggles territory is as long as you know what you're getting into, everything's fine. It looks fine. Sounds great. The, the combat is really reductive, but it's, it's well-tuned. It's just a really simple instrument, right? It's a, it's a really well-made kazoo. But as long as you know <laughs> that's what you're getting into and you're not expecting violin music, then it's fine. So, like, I, I, I'm actually I, I'm firm. I'm confident in my, my, my ranking. Are you? No. Are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, for me personally, also, I think no nostalgic requires. No nostalgia goggles required. Explain yourself. Well, no, because the thing is that I did not like this game. 
but it's a good game. You know, like everything that I listed, um, I, I realized I didn't really at any point sing its praises and say like, oh man, this was amazing. No, we you know, both ripped was, on it a lot. <laughs> yeah, which is, is the thing is though, I think it's because those are the things that I didn't like about it and the things that if, you know, somebody's like, should I play this game? I'm like, go listen to the podcast that we did on it. If none of those things bother you, then absolutely it's a great game you know the problem is that just there's a lot of things that you that come with the thing if you say oh this is a super mario rpg and we've complained about this many times on the show is that this is the problem with saying it's an rpg it's like what does that mean it's a first person (laughs) shooter it's like it's like okay so like call of duty it's like no we were talking about portal it's like well that's not a it's a first person shooter you know and it's like oh it's a mario rpg and especially because you've got some people thinking, oh, it's a Mario RPG, and some people thinking it's a Mario RPG, and those are two completely different things. So it's like, <laughs> what is it? It's a Mario RPG. You know, so like, you just have to brace up for the fact that it doesn't, it's, you know what it is? It's the bard of video games, where it's, <laughs> which I know sounds like an insult, but it's, that's the thing, is it's not an amazing fighter, it's not an amazing mage, it's a little bit of both. It doesn't do either perfectly, but it doesn't both adequately, you know? So, so if you're, if you want a stellar platformer, don't play Super Mario RPG. If you want a stellar RPG, don't play Super Mario RPG. If you're looking for an interesting experience that kind of unifies those two things, then absolutely you could play this game. It, it definitely holds up. I don't think there's anything that I encountered where I was like, this makes the game unplayable. You know, for many, many, many people, this would be a, a, a game where they would feel like a Mario. They're there, they're present, they're engaged. For me personally, though, I'm a Luigi. The curtain falls. The music plays. The credits roll. Then it all fades to black. And you're left by yourself. The fanfare is gone. There's no player two there by your side to share victories won. But as you slowly progress down the hall to your bed a few great events leak back into your head from the time that you spent traversing the land battling evil fighting the darkness just sword in hand your memories creep in with the edge of a smile you realize again what you lost for a while You're gonna think back much less On how you saved the day 